This morning I'd like to start in Genesis chapter 17. I'd like to speak to you this morning concerning new names and new beginnings. 17th chapter of Genesis begins with the Lord appearing unto Abram. At this time, Abram has not had his name changed. We refer to him, generally speaking, as Abraham. But right here in Genesis 17, the Lord appears unto him uh, as Abram, and he says, I am the Lord God Almighty. Now this is the first time in Scripture that the Lord has appeared as the Almighty God. This is not the first time that he's declared he's the Almighty God from the standpoint of his works. Remember, he did bring about a worldwide flood, right? I'd say that would take an Almighty God to do that. But this is the first time that he appears to anyone with this name. He appears unto him as the Almighty God. Now, there's a reason for that. The Lord always comes to his people right where their needs are at. We find earlier in Genesis chapter 15 that God appeared unto Abram. Right after chapter 14, of course, when Abram took 300 trained servants and went out to battle and won the battle, come back with the goods, and that's where the king of Sodom, of course, met him and told him, he says, you give me uh, the persons and you keep the goods. Of course, Melchizedek met him also on this occasion. Abraham, showing the kind of man that he was and what great character he had, refused to do what the king said. And generally speaking, when you fought a battle and you won the battle, then all the goods belong to you. They just came to you, of course. But we find where Abram says that he came in the name of the Lord God of heaven and of earth. And he didn't do what he said. Now, chapter 15 starts out with the Lord revealing himself unto Abram by saying, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I hope you see the connection here. I am thy shield. He just proved that he was Abram's protector and deliverer by blessing him to win the battle. He says, I am thy shield. But I'm also thy exceeding great reward. Abraham, you gave up something that you were entitled to. You gave up something that you had a right to, but you would not compromise your character and your integrity. Because that's not why Abram went out and done the battle. He didn't go out to try to defeat someone and you know, then amass a great deal of wealth. He went out there to rescue Lot. He went out there to, you know, for a noble purpose. And the Lord said, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. You know, just before Joshua got ready to cross Jordan's River, this is after Moses has died, and they're, they, they're there, they're about ready to cross the Jordan's River to go into the land of Canaan. Joshua is their new leader. Joshua looks, and there's a man who has drawn his sword standing nearby. And we find where Joshua went to him, as Joshua was always a man of great courage and bravery, he said, are you for us or against us? And the man replied, I am the Lord God of hosts. And when he said that, Joshua knew that was the Lord appearing unto him. How did he appear to Joshua? He appeared unto him in a military manner, in a military way. Because Joshua was about to cross Jordan, go out to do battle against the city of Jericho. And so the Lord appeared to him in this manner, in this way. 
So here in Genesis chapter 17, why does he appear to him as the Lord God Almighty? Because he's going to reiterate, first of all, some promises that he's made to him on two other occasions. Now, what were those promises? I think it's important for us to see the promises and also note not only what God promised, but when he promised it. We go back to Genesis chapter 12, we find where Abram lives in a land called the Ur of the Chaldees. That was a land of idolatry and wickedness and immorality. And it wasn't Abram who was vexed with all that, that was reaching out to God and calling for God. It was God who chose Abram. That's the way it always is through the Bible. A consistency found in the Bible from beginning to end. So we don't see Abram calling upon the Lord, but the Lord calls Abram and tells him to get thee out of thy country and come to a land that I will show thee. He says, when you come, just you, do not bring your kindred or anything else, just come to a land that I will show thee. He says, and I will bless thee, and ye shall be a blessing. I will make thee a great nation. He says, I'll give you a great name, and I will bless them that bless you, and I'll curse them that curse you. Now, those words were said several thousand years ago, but they still have a present-day application to them. Now, God promised all that to him when he was 75 years old. Just him and Sarah. They don't have any children. And yet God has told him he's going to make him the father of many nations. How is that going to be? He don't even have a child. He's 75 years old. But that's the promise. And in Genesis 15, we find where the Lord, again, reiterated that. He came and told Abraham everything he said in Genesis 12. He tells him again in Genesis chapter 15. And now in Genesis chapter 17, he's going to tell him for the third time that he's going to make him a great nation. And out of thee and thy seed shall be many nations, and many kings shall come from thy seed. Again, I tell you at this point, Abram doesn't have a child. All right? Now, excuse me, he does have a child. He has one child. He has, uh, he has Ishmael. But he's 99 years old now, and we're going to find that Abraham and Sarah are old and well-stricken in years, and by nature they can't have any children. And besides, Ishmael is not the one that God is going to bring many nations out of. It's going to be another child, you see. So he's going to tell Abram in this chapter, and also Sarah, that they're going to have a child. That's why he appears unto them as the Lord God Almighty. It's going to take an almighty God to enable somebody who's 99 years old and 89 years old, it's going to take an almighty God for them to have a child, right? And when they have the child, she'll be 90, he'll be 100 years of age. So he appears as the almighty God. You see the connection, I trust. Now, in the book of Revelation, eight times you find where the Lord reveals himself as the Lord God Almighty. Nine times in the book of, in the New Testament we find him revealing himself that way, but eight of those times in the book of Revelation. Notice how it's written in Revelation 1.8. He says, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He says, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Lord God Almighty. Now, that expression, the Lord God Almighty, is sprinkled throughout the book of Revelation eight times. So why the book of Revelation? 
Now, he is referred to that way one time in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But why eight of the nine times all in the book of Revelation? Because when you read the book of Revelation, you find a contrast between good and evil, between right and wrong, between that which is righteous and that which is not righteous. You find pictures and images of the Antichrist, beginning in chapter, about chapter 5 all the way to the end of the book. You find this contrast between the two. You're going to read about beasts. You're going to read about beasts that has uh, uh, horns and they have uh, multiple eyes and horns and just scary type figures if you just focused on that. But when you read that, he, he comes right back and reminds you, I'm the Lord God Almighty. You don't have to fear this. I'm the Lord God Almighty. And you see, the bottom line of the book of Revelation is when you get through reading it and you say, well, what did you learn from Revelation? You can just simply tell somebody, Jesus wins. <laughs> Jesus wins. And he wins because he's the Lord God Almighty. Now, he refers to himself in Revelation 19.6 as the Lord God Omnipotent. And the word omnipotent means almighty. But there he uses the word omnipotent. In fact, it's the only time it's used. But we preach an omnipotent God. We preach that one of the attributes of God is the fact that he's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's everywhere present, nowhere absent. He sees all things, as we mentioned in our prayer verse this morning, concerning his eye. And he has all power. And even though the expression is not used, we find the principle is taught in various other places, such as Matthew chapter 28. After the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and 40 days has gone by, before the Lord ascends and goes back to heaven, he gives his apostles, and here's what he tells them. He said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Isn't that the same thing as saying the Lord God Almighty? Is that not the same thing as saying I'm the Lord God Omnipotent? I think it is. I have all power in heaven. I have all power on the earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, etc. So before he sends them out on this gospel commission, the very first thing he tells them is, I have all power in heaven, and I have all power on earth, and I'm going to go with you all the way to the end of the world. So it Wherever we're at, whatever we experience, whatever our needs are, that's how the Lord comes to us, you see. That's how the Lord reveals himself to us. So here in Genesis chapter 17, we find the Lord for the first time in Scripture. We find him revealing himself by expression here as the Lord God Almighty, which is El Shaddai. That's what it means. It comes from the Hebrew word. Now he tells Abram, again, that I'm going to bless thee, Many nations shall come from thee, and through thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, he said, I'm going to change your name. He's going to give him a new name. This is the first time in the Bible that God gives somebody a new name. It's not, uh, you know, throughout the Bible we find where God gives names oftentimes even before children are born. Remember John the Baptist? Before John the Baptist was ever born, the Lord gave the name he was to be called. And I kind of like that as you read through John the Baptist here, we find where Zacharias and Elizabeth were just like Abraham and Sarah. They were very old and well-stricken in years. As I've told you before, the expression well-stricken in years goes along with the expression old just seems, simply means you're really old. Not just old, you're really old. So they're old and well-stricken in years. Abraham and Sarah were. We find Elizabeth and Zacharias are. But that doesn't hinder God. And God says, Thy prayers have been answered, Zechariah. And Elizabeth is going to conceive and bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name John. 
Now, the Lord tells him ahead of time, you're going to have a child, it's going to be a, a son, and you're going to call his name John. That name came from heaven. And then the same thing with Mary. The angel comes and tells Mary that the power of the Holy Ghost shall overshadow thee, and that holy thing shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And we find in Matthew 1, 21, where the angel says unto Joseph, Fear not to take unto Mary to be thy wife, for that which is conceived of hers of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus came from heaven. Mary and Joseph didn't come up with the name Jesus. That's God's beloved son. He named his own son, and he declared unto them, uh, they were going to have a child. It was going to be a son, and I already told him what the son's name was going to be. It's going to be Jesus, you see. So we find where God is going to change Abram's name from Abram to Abraham. The name Abram means high father. But the name Abraham means father of many nations. So God changes his name. Now, he tells him then, once again, he's going to be the father of many nations. At this point, he has one son. His name is Ishmael. But God's going to instruct Abraham that his seed is not going to come through Ishmael, it's going to come through the son that he's going to give him, which will be a miraculous son, and his name shall be called Isaac. So his name is changed from Abram to Abraham. When names are changed in the Bible, that usually means there's getting ready, ready, be ready a turn for something new, a new chapter, a new direction, something, uh, you know, that's different from the past. And so his name is changed from Abram to Abraham. And then he tells Abram, Abraham now, that he is to be circumcised. Abraham is going to be circumcised at 99 years old. He's got a son by the name of Ishmael. She'll be circumcised at 13 years old. This will be a seal. The seal of circumcision was to, as a sign that showed Israel was to be a separate people from all the other nations upon the face of this earth. And then he comes over here and he tells Sarah what's going to happen. Now earlier, you're going to find when God told Abraham in Genesis 15 he was going to have a, a son, that Abraham laughed. Three different times concerning the birth of Isaac, you're going to find there's laughter. You find where Abraham laughed. And that word laughed can mean either a laugh of joy or a laugh of unbelief. So the context will tell us, if we're reading instead of the context, which it is. Now Abraham says, how can this be? He says, you know, a uh, man of my age, et cetera, et cetera. And so it prompted him to have a laughter. I, I personally think it was kind of a partial laughter of unbelief and a possible laughter of, uh, partial laughter of, of joy and anticipation that this might actually take place, this actually might happen. But see, when the news came to Sarah, and God's going to change her name from Sarah to Sarah. And it's really difficult to know what the name Sarah really means, but the name Sarah means princess. So God's changed the name of Abram from Abram to Abraham. He's changed the name of his wife Sarah to Sarah. He's the father of many nations. She's going to be the mother of many nations, and she's going to be called princess. Sarah is behind the door. In Genesis chapter 18, she's behind the door when she hears some of this conversation between God and Abraham. And the Bible says she laughed. And then God kind of called her on the carpet for it. God said, where is, thy, why, where is Sarah? 
And uh, why hast thou laughed? Sarah, and Sarah said, oh, I didn't laugh. He said, oh, yes, you did. And that's where we have this wonderful statement where the Lord says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is that applicable today? Is that statement applicable today? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Not if you see him as the Lord God Almighty. Not if you see him as the omnipotent one. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. If the Lord can cause a woman at 90 years old to have a child, and that child is a result of a 90-year-old woman, a 100-year-old man, then the Lord can do anything, right? There's nothing too hard for the Lord. So that's why the expression, we read it there in Genesis chapter 18, he says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Now, we have God appearing in a new manner, a new way. We find he changes the name of Abram from Abram to Abraham. He's got a new name. And we find where Sarah has a new name. She's going to be called, um, again, a, a princess. Now, Abraham pre treated her like a princess. When you read uh, of Abraham and Sarah and their relationship as husband and wife, you'll find he treated her as a princess. And we read over here in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 in the New Testament. Now, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years down the road. We're going to read about Sarah over here in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 starts off with Peter instructing wives to be in subjection to their own husbands. And to be in emphasizing how important it is, that if they have a husband, uh, you know, uh, who is not converted at this point by the word, that he might be converted by her behavior and her faithfulness to the Lord. And it says she should be the type of woman that uh, doesn't emphasize and major on the outward, but rather on the inward. And he speaks about those who had the plating of the hair and the wearing of the gold and the silver, et cetera, et cetera. All those are outward things. But he says it should be the inner man of the heart, of a meek and quiet spirit. Here Peter is telling wives how they should conduct themselves, how they should have a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God. And notice this, not in the sight of the world, but in the sight of God of great price. Now, are we more concerned with the sight of God or the sight of the world? Are we more concerned how the world views us or how God views us? That's the point that Peter is getting to in 1 Peter chapter 3. And so he says, even as the holy women of old, now he's about to tell you somebody in the, in the old day, that's an example of what he's saying, and he brings up Sarah. It's even as women, holy women of old, as Sarah called Abraham Lord and was faithful unto Abraham, whose daughters you are. When you apply these scriptures in 1 Peter chapter 3 uh, to, to the sisters here, then you become a daughter of Abraham by practice. You become a daughter of Abraham, uh, excuse me, of Sarah by practice. Sarah is the example and of the illustration, example and instructions that Peter has been writing about here in 1 Peter chapter 3. So I would encourage all of our sisters here this morning to, to desire and try to walk in a manner and way that people call you a daughter of Sarah. Now, also we find in Hebrews 11, 11, where Sarah is an example of walking by faith, says by faith, Sarah, even though by nature was not able to have children, by nature, she says she trusted in God and believed that he who had promised was able to perform it. She received straight to conceive seed by faith. She considered him, that is God, faithful, who had made this promise. If God made the promise, 
then she believed that God was able to fulfill the promise, take care of the promise. Remember, he's revealed himself unto Abram and Sarah now as the Lord God Almighty. Now, three different times we find laughter associated with Isaac. And by the way, the uh, first child in the Bible, before the child is born, the name is given, is that of Ishmael. The second child in the Bible is his half-brother, Isaac. Now, when God had made this promise about many nations coming from him, you're going to find where Abraham had, had trouble, as we might say in this day and age, wrapping all this around his head. Said, oh, that Ishmael might live. The Lord said, oh, Ishmael will live. I will bless Ishmael. See, don't forget Ishmael was Abraham's son. But how was he Abraham's son? He was Abraham's son according to the fleshly deeds. Was he not? He was Abraham's son by a woman named Hagar. Hagar was a bondmaid of Sarah. You'll find where Sarah got in a hurry. And Sarah says, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. And it's kind of interesting to me as I study the Bible how sometimes people want to blame God for things when God's not to blame for it. She says, God has restrained me from bearing. You know what Ruth said over the book of Ruth Naomi said? She says, you know, when she left the land of Bethlehem, Judah went down to Moab. When she came back, what were her words? She says, the Lord God Almighty sent me away and brought me back in bitterness. Uh, the Lord's people have a tendency sometimes to put the Lord in situations that the Lord's not in. You remember Jacob, 20 years before, when he deceived his father, uh, Isaac, and Isaac said, how did you bring this venison to me, which it was not venison, it was goat meat? You know what Isaac, I mean, Jacob said, he says, well, the Lord was with me. We need to be real careful how we use the Lord's name. We need to be real careful how we use the Lord and talk about our daily experiences in life. Because a lot of times the, people, the Lord's people will use the Lord in ways I know he's not in it. I remember talking to this young lady one time many years ago, and she was living with a man and wasn't married, and I was t talking to her about it. And she said, well, it's okay. I prayed about it. I've talked to the Lord about it, and I prayed about it. And I thought, well, you didn't get the answer I get. I know what the Bible teaches. The Lord has not given you the green light to do something he condemns in his word. He's not giving you the green light to do it. Anyway, uh, we'll get back on what we're talking about here. We find uh, where Sarah... Uh, when the Lord performed this, it's where I want, Genesis chapter 21. It said, at this set time, God performed that which he spoke unto Sarah about. What he said, he brought it to pass. What he had spoken, it came to pass. At the set time, she brought forth a son whose name was uh, Isaac. And here's what Sarah said. She says, the Lord hath made me to laugh and all that hear it to laugh. And that laughter there is a laughter of joy. No longer a laughter of unbelief, but a laughter of joy. When I compare Ishmael with Isaac, I see uh, several things of great contrast I think uh, shouldn't be worth noting. First of all, Ishmael was a product of the flesh. Again, we go back and we find where Sarah said unto Abraham, says, uh, God has restrained me from bearing. Here's my handmaid, Hagar. Go into her that I might have children by her. And he did, and that's where Ishmael came from. Now, Ishmael, after being born into this family, caused contention. He caused strife. And Ishmael is a picture of the past, where Isaac's a picture of the future. 
Isaac didn't cause contention and strife. Isaac brought joy into the family. And by the way, when the Lord said unto Abraham, Thou shalt be the father of many nations, uh, the descendants of Abraham are both uh, uh, not only Jews, but also, uh, you know, uh, the people over in the Middle East today, all the people, they, they're all descendants of Abraham. Through Ishmael, the Arabs through Ishmael, and the Jews over here through Isaac. And what did he say about Ishmael? It says, He shall be a wild man. There's been conflict in the Middle East ever since that day. There'll be conflict in the Middle East till the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can have all the peace plans you want, and I'm all for that. All for anything you might bring about peace, but there's never going to be harmony between the two groups over there in the land of Palestine. All right? All right, we got a new name from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah. God's revealed himself in a new manner, a new way. Let's talk about Jacob just for a minute. Come over here to Genesis chapter 32. And by the way, it's kind of interesting to me. You got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Isaac lived to be 180 years old. He lived longer than Abraham. He lived longer than Jacob. But yet there's less said about Isaac than it is about Abraham, Jacob, or Jacob's descendants. Isaac was a son of a famous man, Abraham. He was the father of a famous man in Jacob. And he is an illustration of the work of the new birth because, again, uh, Ishmael uh, exists in this world, came as a result of uh, the actions of the flesh, but Isaac was a miraculous child. And you come to Galatians chapter 4 and you'll find where the Apostle Paul tells us in verses 28 and 29 that we are children not of the flesh, but we are children of the Spirit. We are the children of the seed of Isaac. As Isaac was born, so are we. And he's talking about, uh, again, uh, our new birth and the miraculous birth that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we come to Genesis chapter 32, and it starts off like this. And the, angel, and the, host, of, uh, a, uh, the host of angels met Abraham, excuse me, met Jacob uh, as he's on his way. Now, where is he on his way to? He's on his way now back to Bethel. 20 years before, this is interesting, 20 years before Jacob left, uh, he fled from Esau to Laban. 20 years later, he's fleeing from Laban back to Esau. You know what that means, bottom line? The past is catching up. <laughs> it means the past is catching up. People don't believe that, but your past will catch up with you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, Paul says, Be not deceived. He said, Whatsoever man shall sow, that shall he also reap. God shall not be mocked. God is never mocked. God sees all, knows all, whatever we sow, that we reap. If we sow to the flesh, will the flesh reap corruption? So to the spirit, will the spirit reap life everlasting? The past is catching up with Jacob. 20 years before, he fled from Esau, the wrath of Esau, and he wound up over in the camp of Laban. 20 years later, he flees from Laban and winds up back over here with an encounter with Esau. But God reveals himself to him again, and right where he is is how God meets him. All right? He's going to have to pass by real close where Esau lives, Mount Seir, to get back to Bethel. So God sends a host of angels to be with him. To reveal to him he's going to protect him. And we find where Jacob, Jacob's always naming places. And he names this place a name that means two bands. But I want you to notice the two bands that Jacob wound up uh, going with, so to speak. He winds up dividing his family into two bands. 
because he's not trusting God. What should have been the two bands? God's band and his band. The Lord of hosts, the angels here, the Lord of hosts was one band. God sent this band to show him, I'm going to protect you, Jacob. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be your security. I'm going to be your bodyguard. But see, Jacob didn't recognize and realize that. So instead of the two bands being God's host and his, all his family, he divides his family into two hosts. He feels like if he's going to lose some of them, he won't lose all of them. He's greatly afraid of Esau. When you read this chapter, you're going to find where the reaction of Esau was totally different than what Jacob thought. That just tells me what the Bible says. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. The Lord intervened on behalf of Jacob. That's when we come to Genesis 32.10. And here we find the words of Jacob when he says, I'm not worthy the least of thy mercies or the truth that I have shown thy servant. You know what Jacob is doing right here? He's reviewing his past 20 years. He's reviewing the past 20 years. Do you ever do that? Do you ever ever just once in a while just stop, look back 10 years, look back 20 years? It's been a while since I've said this, but uh, if you go back 20 years in your life, depending on how old you are, of course, some of you are not 20, so you can't do that. You can try 10, maybe five. But go back 20 years. Where were you 20 years ago? Who was you married to 20 years ago? How many children you have 20 years ago? Where did you work 20 years ago? Where did you go to church 20 years ago? If somebody had told you 20 years ago, in the next 20 years, you'll be married to so-and-so, you'll have these many children, here's what their names are going to be, here's where you'll be in the, uh, working, here's where you go to church, you probably thought, oh, I don't know where you're getting all that, but that ain't going to happen to me. Ain't never going to happen to me. Yet here you are, 20 years down the road, and it did happen to you. Jacob's reviewing his 20 years. And he knew 20 years ago he fled from Esau, and he'd lied to his father. I counted them this morning, actually sitting right there at least five times. At least five times he lied to his father, deceived his father, and he getting the blessing belong that the father was planning on giving to Esau. Esau comes on the scene. Esau's really angry about it. Esau has has in his heart to slay Jacob, and Jacob has to flee. His mother makes all the arrangements, all the plans, as she always did, by the way. And says, I want you to go back to my family, Laban, for a few days. She never saw him again. She never saw him again. That few years turned out to be, a few days turned out to be 20 years. And during that 20-year period of time, you know what Jacob's been doing? He's been planning, he's been scheming, he's been living up to his name. His name means trickster. His name means supplanter. He's been living up to it. 20 years. He served 14 years for two wives. And then Laban changed his wages six different, uh, 10 different times. He's been there 20 years. But then God uh, uh, took care of him and God watched over him and God protected him. Even all his manner and all his ways, God was still taking care of him. And then God tells him to go back to Bethel. So this is why he's heading back. And he flees there, and we're going to find where Laban flees after him. But the Lord warned Laban not to put a finger on Jacob. He warned him. And, ja and Laban told Jacob that. He says, it's in my power to do you hurt, but God appeared unto me and told me not to do it. I'd say uh, Uncle Laban was pretty smart there. He's reviewing his 20 years. 
Then we come just a little bit further on. It says, and Jacob was left alone. This is the second time Jacob has been alone. 20 years before, he was left alone in Genesis chapter 28 when he fled Esau. And we find him in the desert land, the waste howling wilderness. And there's where angels first appeared unto him there. And now 20 years later, angels first appeared to him again. And then he met a man. And he began wrestling with the man. And he would not let him go. And he said, I will not let thee go till thou blessest me. And so he asked him a question. He says, what is your name? That's the second time Jacob's been asked what his name is. The first time is back when he's deceiving and lying to his father Esau, uh, Isaac. Isaac said, who art thou? He said, I'm thy son Esau. He told him that twice. The second time he's asked what his name is, God's asked him what his name is. And this time Jacob's honest. He says, Jacob. He says, your name's not going to be called Jacob anymore. Your name's going to be called, what? Israel. You want to know where the name Israel, the Israelites came from? This is where it comes from right here. That name should be called Israel, which means a prince with God. Jacob's got a new name. Jacob's going to begin to walk with a new walk because God's going to give him a limp. Remember, he, he touched his thigh before he blessed him, asked him his name, gave him a new name. He touched his thigh, and now Jacob is a cripple. Jacob's going to walk with a limp. You know, it reminds me of Saul, right? When Saul in Acts chapter 9 is on the Damascus road, and the Lord appears unto him, you know, that's where he had his, that's, by the way, Saul means a dedicated one. Later on, Saul's name will be changed from Saul to Paul, which means little one. It was Paul, the little one, that did such great things for God. But Paul relates also where he called him to the third heaven. And he saw things which was not lawful for man to utter. And he went to the Lord without all this, because uh, we find a thorn was given to him in the flesh. And he prayed three times God might remove the thorn that was in the flesh, but God didn't do it. And God did say, though my grace is sufficient for thee. And certainly a great lesson in that. No matter what we're going through in life, remember God's grace is sufficient for you. Paul had to live with that thorn in his flesh, and Jacob had to live the rest of his life with a limp because his thigh had been touched by the angel and was out of joint. So he has a new name. He has a new walk. He met God that day. He met himself that day, you might say. And then Jacob has a new son. His wife, Rachel, the one he loved so much that he wound up serving, you know, seven years, two different times to get her. She's given him Joseph, but now she's going to give him another child. His name is called Benjamin or Benoni. And she will give her life and give him birth to this child. She will die in childbirth. And he will bury her. He was just about a mile away from Bethlehem. And for a long, long time, Bethlehem was known as a place of death. But when the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world, it became a place of life. You'll find when she has the child, she names it Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. But Jacob says, I'm going to name him Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Now, I hope you can see with these two expressions that's pointing to somebody uh, down the road, the son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in Isaiah chapter 53, we find the writer telling us that he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
Have you ever noticed there it does not say he's a man who experienced sorrow? He didn't say he was a man who experienced sorrow. He says he's a man of sorrow. You know what it tells me? It means he experienced daily sorrow. The hymn writer said, you know, that we daily walk through this life here of joy and sorrow, right? It's a mixture of joy and sorrow, ups and downs. But the Lord Jesus Christ didn't just experience sorrow. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. I don't think there was a day that passed by that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't experience some type of sorrow, some type of grief here in this world. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I know something about sorrow, and I imagine everybody in this congregation knows something about sorrow today. But we experience sorrow, but Jesus Christ is a man of sorrow. The Lord Jesus Christ can meet us right where we stand in need of, right? He can come right to where we're at and be what we stand in need of. That expression back over there in Genesis 17, where God appeared as the Lord God Almighty, it also means the all-sufficient one, which means, first of all, God is sufficient within his own self. He doesn't need the help of any man. He doesn't need the help of any man, the assistance for anybody. He is sufficiency within himself, but at the same time, he's able to become our sufficiency and whether we stand in need of because he is the all-sufficient one. Son of, son of sorrows and son of my right hand. Where did the Lord Jesus Christ go when he left this world? He went right back to where he came from in heaven and he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ here and the birth of Benjamin here. We have a new name, a new way of walking, a new son. Everything now is new. Let's look over in the book of 2 Corinthians just for a moment, chapter 5, verse 17. And the Apostle Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature. He's a new creature. Old things passed away, behold, all things become new. When you're born of the Spirit of God, a brand new world opens up into you that you've never seen or experienced in times past. Now, some people, you know, will tell you, I can't ever remember a time in my life when I didn't have a love for the Lord. And you are highly blessed. And I certainly believe that because John the Baptist could have said that. John the Baptist was born again of the Spirit of God before he ever saw the light of day. When he was in his mother's womb, he leapt for joy at the salutation of Mary. And there are some who go through years of their life without any interest in God. There are some who go through life, they have no interest in God, they don't pray to God, they don't go to the house of God. Their interest is all of the flesh, all carnal, all of the world right here. And then at some point, according to God's own appointed time, God born some of the Spirit of God, and all of a sudden they begin to see things differently now. And their interest begins to change. A brand new world opens up to them. If any man be in Christ, if he's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And then over in the book of Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, we find this statement concerning discipleship. When the apostle says, for we are buried with him, to back Christ, we're buried with him by death. It will by death we're buried with him. And like as Christ is raised from the dead uh, by the glory of the Father, even so we should rise to walk in newness of life. He's been talking about baptism. When a person is baptized, they rise to walk, what? In newness of life. A new life now is before them. Now, your name may not have been changed. <laughs> your main name may not have been changed. But God has changed you. God has changed you. God's done something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. You see, that old human nature that we got inside of us, that human nature can be 
Um, you know, it can be controlled if we work hard enough at it. Uh, that old human nature can give us all kind of problems, but it, it can be dealt with, it can be disciplined, it can be controlled. But one thing about it is that human nature can't be changed. That human nature can't be changed. That's why it's illustrated for us like this in the book of Jeremiah. Can the Ethiopian change the color of his uh, skin? And can the leopard change his spots? Think about that, those two questions. Can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin? He cannot. The color of his skin is the color of his skin because that's his nature. And a leopard cannot change his spots because spots, you know, is what identifies him as the leopard, right? The leopard cannot change his spots. And that old human nature that we got inside of us, you know, we can, uh, we can try to control it, and we should, and we can try to deal with it in a manner and way that, uh, where it's, uh, you know, like Paul said, uh, I know that in me that is my flesh dwelleth no good thing, but we can't change the human nature. But God gives us a new nature. God gives us a divine nature. When we're in Christ and we're born of the Spirit of God, we're a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we see ourselves as being poor, unworthy, undone sinners, worthy of nothing but destruction and banishment for eternally from God forever and forevermore. But the good old gospel story has told us that we got a Savior in Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that we got somebody who loved us so greatly that is willing to come into this world and live for us and die for us and pay our sin debt for us. And we got one who's on the right hand making intercession for us. When you hear that and you can relate and you feel like, you know, I think he's, I think he's talking to me. I think he's talking to me. If you've ever felt that way in your life and you feel like the preacher is talking to you in that regard, then you got reason to shout, my friends. You got reason to praise God for the very, for everything you got on the inside of you because that's telling you that you're a new creature in Christ and therefore it ought to be your desire to walk in a new path and a new way and be baptized, make that profession of faith and be baptized to rise to walk what? In newness of life. That's probably all I need to try on this morning. 